Well, it's my privilege this morning not to preach. Oh, come on. That was funny in my mind. No, it is my privilege to welcome one of the things that is a joy of partnering with other ministries where God is using people and raising them up is when they come through Hong Kong, we get emails saying, would we like to host one of the speakers? And we've had the Ravi Zacharias Oxford in Asia conference going on this weekend. Hopefully some of you or many of you were able to attend that. But if you weren't, you're going to be in for a wonderful time this morning with uh, our speaker, Michelle Tepper. She and her husband, Peter, have been married almost 10 years. Uh, and they have a five-year-old daughter, Sophia, so I can relate to that. Little girls are a, a lot of joy. But they've got a, just a wonderful testimony of how God's worked. Uh, they were uh, on staff as pastors of the university ministry at uh, the Anglican Church right on uh, Oxford University's campus. And they saw, I think she said, over 400 people come to know Jesus Christ. And that's by being faithful to what God has. They had plans to go somewhere else. Then God got involved and they said, okay, we'll follow you. And of all the things she said all weekend, I was deeply touched by that because that's what we're called to do. Say, Lord, you know better than we do. So I'm not going to preach for her. I'll let her share. But would you warmly welcome Michelle this morning? And just before I start, I think we have a a quick video to show. It's about this... um, thing called Reboot that we do. And let me give you a little bit of an idea of what it is while you watch this video. You will have gotten um, one of these in the bulletin this morning. You might be thinking, Reboot, that's like what you do to your computer or your phone. What what, what does that have to do with, with anything? So what I get the privilege of doing with an incredible team around the world is answering people's biggest questions and barriers of faith to God. And they, a lot of people think they can't believe in God because they think their questions are too hard or they think to believe in God, they have to do away with the brain. And we do this and we've done this for years. This ministry has been going for over 30 years and it's, it's a blessing to be part of it. But what started to happen is that young people were coming to us around university age and going, why are we only hearing about this now once we get to university? It's already too late by then. I would have liked to be equipped. I would have liked someone to hear my doubts. I would have liked to be able to ask someone my questions before I got higher and higher in education so that as I got higher and higher in education, I knew how to translate my faith. I had something to hold on to. I knew who to ask my questions for. So we thought, you know what? Let's try to do what we do around the world and let's do it purposefully for 12 to 18 year olds. A lot of people said that's never gonna work. They're gonna be bored. You're only gonna get nerds, right? You know, we did it in, in London for the first time two years ago. We thought, God, give us maybe 50 people. We had over 300 young people turn up. All right? There was, was such, such a demand. We did it again last year. It was 800 showed up. And this time, part of the reason the crowd was so big is because the kids that came the first time brought their friends that weren't Christians and said, if you hear about Jesus this way, you're going to believe. Okay? So this reboot thing is in demand around the world. People have begged us to come, specifically America, because I was just part of the UK team of this ministry. I've only just moved back. And instead of going to America first, guess where we're coming? Here, 
Hong Kong. Do not miss it, okay? Here's a little quick, I set it up like that because this video is from the London one. And so um, I showed it earlier in the week and so I'm like, I don't understand anything those kids are saying. So that's why they're all so British, um, but it's coming here. So get anyone involved that's 12 to 18 or if you're a teacher, an educator, a youth leader, a parent, you know, in some way, shape or form, show up to this, okay? So let's watch it and then um, we'll start. and it was really fun. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a great experience to meet with God and just have some questions answered. There are a selection of different talks and Q&A panels. It was really challenging and um, the prayer that I got and everything, it was brilliant. It was really fun to get to know people and to know a little bit more about what the Bible says. I've also very much enjoyed the speakers. They're also amazing at answering questions. We have a bit of singing, which is really quite fun. The worship was really, really vibrant. I really enjoyed it. What are the questions that you would love an answer to? There's different questions that are answered throughout the day. Tweeting, texting, Facebooking, emailing your questions. It helped gear us up to answer questions that we've been asked by friends and stuff, which is really important. I had the question, uh, does God hear other people's prayers? And it was answered for me today. My question was about doubting when you're sitting at home, you're thinking about, oh, do I really believe in God? And today I feel like that was pretty answered for me. So for me, there was one on suffering, which I really liked or I found useful because lots of my friends asked me about that at school. I used to think it was about a choice of where it's either science or religion, you have to choose one, but after hearing the talk today, I think you can sort of connect the two and say that science is a way of exploring what creation has made for us. It's really good for, I think, every one of us. I'd say really fun and thought-provoking. Next year, I definitely plan to bring a lot of my friends along. It really reaffirmed me that God really does love me. It was really fun. It really kind of fueled the passion a bit more and kind of pushed me a bit forward. Really enjoyed definitely coming back next year. Today has helped me a lot. I think I'm pretty high in faith now. We just need to keep asking big questions. Every day throws new big questions at us. Come to Reboot to find out more about what the answers are to the big questions that life gives us. Well, thanks for watching that. If you're wondering who that... Whoa! I'm going to have background music here. If you're wondering who um, that quite formal looking guy was at the end. I don't know if you're familiar with the Anglican Church. That's the Archbishop of Canterbury. He endorses it. And so um, in England, that's a big thing to come out um, and say that. So just bring anyone along that would be interested. That segues really nicely into what I feel um, I want to talk about with you guys this morning. I want to look at what does it mean to be searching for wisdom in an age of knowledge. It's quite incredible that we could have over 700 young people show up on a Saturday when they're in school all of the time to have six talks given to them, right, of their own accord and bring their friends who've never been to church before to come and be interested. And partly why I think that is incredible is because this generation more than ever before, in a sense, they don't need anybody to find things out, do they? All they have to have is their device, right? And they can Google anything they want. They can read Wikipedia. They can check the sources to see if it's good. We have knowledge as never before. 
We have differing views. We have on every single front. Now, yeah, you have to be able to sift through it, right? But we have got everything at our fingertips as never before. So what makes the Christian message appealing anymore? What makes any authority appealing? How do we, if you are a Christian today, sift through all of the knowledge and all of the new viewpoints and all of the questions that come our way and be able to go, this is why I believe and this is why I'm sticking to it. And if you're not from a Christian background today, what makes you want to look into any faith? What makes you want to look into any authority other than yourself when basically, as never before, you could be the authority on anything because you have things at your fingertips. One of the hardest things about what we do these days, I don't know, give you a little view. We talk about these hard topics of faith, but then almost always we throw it open to live Q&A, right? There's a whole new dimension to it these days because live Q&A used to be off the back of what we were speaking about. Someone would ask a question, right? Now it's off the back of what we were speaking about. Plus any commentaries that the person was reading while you were speaking, plus any other things that's coming right back up at them. How do we sift through all of the knowledge What do we do with it? How do we understand this idea of wisdom? Is it even valuable anymore? And how do we get it? The pastor told me that you're about to go into a theme with the church and looking at what does it mean to live out the gospel in the midst of a changing culture? I think we need to be wise. And so to explore this topic of wisdom quickly this morning, I want to start in 1 Kings chapter 10 verses 1 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. I'm going to read it out though, so it's all right. And just to set it up for you, this is when the queen of Sheba comes and visits Solomon. All right. You're thinking, oh, you're speaking on wisdom. If you're at all familiar with the Bible, you would expect that I'd be speaking on Solomon, but this is not the famous passage where he asks for wisdom. This is what happens afterwards. So 1 Kings 10 verses 1 through 9, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels, carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw them with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half of what was told me in wisdom and wealth you have surpassed and far exceeded the report I had heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who is delighted in you and placed you on his throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. That's pretty impressive. Let me just set the scene a little bit more for you because it's easy to hear things that we might have heard before or just hear a big chunk of scripture and zone out a little bit. Let's be honest. We all do it. Okay. How many of you have seen the old now Disney movie Aladdin? 
Yeah, Aladdin, a few people out there. So if you haven't seen it, basically what happens is Aladdin wants to win the heart of the princess, right? So he gets the genie to turn him into this kind of sultan. And when he comes and enters into the city, those of you who have seen it, there's this big parade for him, right? Prince Ali, and they sing all of these songs, and he's showing off all of his stuff, basically in a huge caravan going, look at me, I'm amazing, look at me, I'm amazing, right? That's what I want you to think of when you think of the Queen of Sheba coming in to visit Solomon, okay? She was a powerful woman, all right? It's kind of like, Beyonce thinks she's pretty powerful these days, right? It's kind of like someone like that, instead of Prince Ali, this amazing queen, Queen of Ethiopia is what most people think that she was, coming in with the track, of who run the world, girls, who run the world, girls, and like marching right up to Solomon being like, I am here. Most of the commentators and most of the translations say something slightly cheeky like that. Like she came and she showed off everything. What's the point of her entering like that? Okay. She was a rare woman. She met Solomon in power, in authority, in wealth, in intellect, she didn't need anything from him on the basis of the kingdom. Does that make sense? She wasn't coming to Solomon. And sometimes we read this passage going, oh, well, you know, this woman, she was probably attracted to him or this woman, she needed something. Solomon was such an amazing king. She wasn't coming because she needed anything with knowledge. She wasn't coming because she was poor. She wasn't coming because she was desperate. And she wanted to make sure everybody know, look, I have everything I need. I am sorted. So why did she come? Why did she come to Solomon? What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? What is the difference? What do we see right here in the beginning of this passage? It's in verse one. When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came. That was the only thing she didn't have. She had fame. She had money. She had officials. She had universities. She had everything she needed. Solomon had a connection. So right off the bat, we find what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? What's that old saying? It's not actually what you know. It's who you know. It's not what you know. It's who you know. The message translation, it's a modern translation of the Bible, actually puts this verse this way. It says, it says, the queen of Sheba heard about Solomon and his connection with the name of the Lord. I like that. His connection with the name of the Lord. Who are you connected to today? What's your name? It reminds me of a story um, of one of Sophia's friends. We've just moved from England to America, and she's really grieving the loss of some of her little friends. And one of her school friends' name was Ben. And he and his family started coming to our church. And they weren't from a Christian background. And over the span of the time we got to know them, they came to trust in Jesus Christ. And it changed everything for the family down to even this little boy, Ben. He's the same age as my Sophia. And this boy, Ben, and his family were so changed by Jesus, by their connection to Jesus, that Ben talked about it everywhere he went. And he would take this carpool to the local school with a family that were not Christians. And in the back of the car on the way home from school one day, he turned to his friend Harley and he said, Harley, are you a Christian? And this little boy went, no, I don't know. I don't think so. And Ben went, well, is your mommy a Christian? And he went, no. Is your daddy a Christian? Well, no. And then he looked at Harley and he went, well, if you're not a Christian, then what's your name? 
And Harley was suddenly really, really confused. And he goes, well, I, uh... Mom, what's our name? What's our name? And he starts calling to the front of the car going, what's our name? We're not Christians. What's our name? I thought it was interesting that Ben, just like the Queen of Sheba, connected Christianity, connected identity, connecting knowing God to something so integral as a name, as an identity. Well, this mother was a little bit, you know, flapped. They're British. They don't like to talk about deep things. It's just the weather. You know, you don't talk about God. You don't talk about politics. It's the weather. That's it. So she's driving, trying to compose herself. And she goes, well, you know, technically I think we'd be called atheists. You know, we don't really believe in anything. And, and, and Harley didn't really like that answer. And the little guy, Ben turned and looked up with his big eyes to um, the mom driving. She goes, but you have to be a Christian because I want you to live forever. You have to be a Christian. Why do I say that? Understanding wisdom, it's about who you know. It's not just about what you know. What does it mean to be a Christian? Being a Christian is about knowing God. It's not knowing about a religion. It's about knowing, it's not about knowing a better way to live. It's not about knowing all of these facts about theology. Yeah, that comes. But the basis of being a Christian is a connection to a name, the name. It is a relationship. So in a sense, being a Christian is about knowing who you are and who you belong to. Do you know other worldviews can't tell you that? Other worldviews, naturalism, atheism, pantheism, secularism, different religions even, they give you information. They tell you how to live. They tell you have a certain experience. They don't tell you who you're connected to. They don't tell you who you are. They don't give you a name. They give you lots of information. But what do you do with that information? And in a sense, that's getting to the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is primarily information, right? Wisdom has to do with the personal side of information, what we do with that information, how we relate, if you will, to that information, how we let it correspond to us and how we pass it on. I heard someone recently say, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Did you know that a tomato is a fruit? Okay. Wisdom is knowing not to put, not to put tomato in your fruit salad. Okay. I liked that. It's how you relate to the information. Another theologian put it this way. Wisdom is competence with regard to reality. You can learn everything you want about any discipline in academia, but not know how to apply it, not know how to understand it, not know what purpose to give to it. I tell you what, I came across a lot of those very intelligent people in Oxford. We were there for a decade, and Peter and I used to joke around that what tended to happen with these incredibly bright students that got to Oxford was that in order to get their IQ, their intellectual quotient, so, 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 so high, they had to dump all of their EQ. They had to dump their emotional understanding. They had to dump the way they related to different people. And you said some of the most intelligent people that knew more facts about anything in life, and yet they didn't know how to explain those facts. They didn't know how to relate to people. They didn't know how to get a job afterwards. Wisdom. It's less about what you know, and it's about who you know and 
how you live and how confidently you're able to say, yes, I have this information about life, information about morality, information about choices, information about good and evil at my disposal. This is how it relates to me. This is how I translate it to the world. And this is why I am confident about the knowledge that I have. And I want to encourage you today, if you are a Christian, and there is lots of information, and there are lots of different questions and worldviews thrown at you, remember what your name is. Remember that you are connected to the name of God. Remember that you're connected to the one who is the source of all knowledge and can tell you how you're supposed to relate to it and how you're supposed to translate it. So you're not left with this weight of information going, well, what do I do now with it? And if you're not a Christian, maybe this is resonating with you this morning. Maybe you've done a thousand degrees or maybe you're about to choose a degree or maybe you have all of the information you should need to be able to make wise decisions for your family or your success, but you're going, what else do I need? I still don't know what to do with this life. I still don't know how to make myself happy. I still don't know how to make sure that I'm confident making the right decisions. Maybe you need to be connected to someone to help you translate that knowledge. What else do we see in this story? Well, wisdom is about who you know, not just what you know. Wisdom changes how you live. It's not just about knowing more. It changes how you live. Verse 4, when the queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon, the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his fish, why do you think the passage goes through that long list? It says she saw wisdom, and then usually when we think about wisdom, once again, we don't think about things like food and servants and stuff like that. What do we see in that list? We see, first off, wisdom welcomes outside questions and testing. Most kings would not have let another monarch just come on in, show a big sign, then sit down and just be grilled about everything. They would have seen that, especially in that ancient Near East culture, as shameful. They would have seen that as someone trying to counter their authority. He welcomes the queen of Sheba in and was like, I'm not afraid of you. I don't have to defend myself. You can counter me. You can ask me your toughest questions because I know who I am. I know how to filter your questions. I can be tested and challenged without that putting me on the back foot and making me argumentative. Does that make sense? It changes and it welcomes and invites outsiders in. Most of the time when we have just knowledge about the outside world, it can make us more afraid more distanced, more segregated. True wisdom that gives you a rooting through relationship goes, it doesn't matter if you're from a different culture. It doesn't matter if you're from a different religious background. It doesn't matter if you practice your morality different than me. I know who I am. You're not scaring me and you're not actually making me upset. I invite you to come and ask me about what I know. I welcome you. Wisdom positively affects your home life. Now this is important. This is important. You can have all of the knowledge about social engineering and country developments in the world. You can run a whole country and not know how to run your home, right? It's true. You can study all the theology. Let's bring it a little bit closer to home about the love of God and not be a loving person. Wisdom positively affects your home life. Look what the queen of Sheba noticed as wisdom. She talks about the palace the kind of home he had constructed, the food on his table, the way he provided 
for the family around him. I love that in verse 8, it says, how happy your wives must be, right? Husbands, do people say that about your wife? Wow, you're such an amazing man. You're so wise. How happy your wife must be, right? I'm sure they do here, right? Wives, do your husbands feel so happy? Because the way that you are able to translate your frustration the way that you're able to translate what you want for the day or your to-do list is in a wise way that brings joy, that welcomes people. Wisdom makes you care about other people, not just yourself. It changes the way you live. It not only invited the questions of the Queen of Sheba in and not got him grumpy and upset, but what did he do? He had the best HR service ever. He cared for his officials. He cared for the seatings of it. He honored the right people. His servants were well-dressed. He cared for their hygiene. He wasn't just out to use all of the knowledge to get ahead and succeed and build his empire. He cared for his house. He cared for outside cultures. And he provided for those that worked for him in a way that was dignifying, in a way that gave them value. Just knowledge can't do that. It takes something greater. Queen of Sheba says, lucky the men and women who work for you, getting to be around you every day and hear your wise words firsthand. I wonder if all of the knowledge and learning or experience that you have in life makes other people go, I'm so glad I get to be around that person. I'm so glad I get to be their friend. I'm so glad I know who they are. Wisdom changes how we live. It changes how we live. What's the final thing that she notices about how he lived? It evokes elaborate worship and extravagant sacrifice. She noticed the fact that there was constant sacrifice going on. There was constant worship going on. Now, this is a queen from an outside culture that wouldn't be used to that type of worship going on, yet it's something that she saw as wise. Something about wisdom makes you realize that everything that we have and all that we come in contact with is not just down to us. Because how often these days, especially in a place like Hong Kong, right? Especially in some of the places I get to travel to, we have everything we need. Usually the question that comes at the end of the RZIM Asia conference, I got this question about three times. Well, it's interesting that you talk about questions. It's interesting you talk about suffering. It's interesting you talk about that. But all my friends, they have everything they need. They don't have questions, right? But we can have everything we need but have no one to thank for it. We can have everything we need and still go, but what do I do with it? How do I hold on to it? How do I sustain it? Is it all up to me to run my world and hold on? Wisdom shows you that there's a reason you've been given things, how to steward them, what to be thankful for. It changes how you live. What else do we see in this passage? Wisdom captures people's hearts. Seeking for wisdom in an age of knowledge, it's not about being know-it-all Christians. It's not about being know-it-all religious people that says, this is what God says, and this is what has to happen, and this is how you have to change. It's being wise, knowing that my confidence, my connection to the name of God, my standing, my foundation, knowing I have fixed morals and fixed absolutes, and I'm not going to change with the shifting sand I'm going to be able to confidently convey that and invite people into that without giving them a bad taste in their mouth about who God is. 
I'm going to be able to confidently tell other people about that and answer their questions and hear the question behind their question and capture their hearts. The Queen of Sheba, basically, the translation there, it's she poured out her heart to him. It starts at the beginning of this passage saying she came to challenge and test him. And then when she saw the way he was able to explain the knowledge and the value they have translated with his wisdom, she then went from testing and challenging to pouring out her heart to him. Does the wisdom that you have invite other people to pour out their hearts, invite other people to share their lives with you? Wisdom powerfully translates knowledge in a way that confirms truth about the existence of God and the reality of his love. That's what I think wisdom does for a Christian. It confirms truth about the existence of God and the reality of his love. So if you're not a Christian today, or you've just been brought along, or you feel like, well, I would have called myself a Christian, but I don't feel like that's how I relate to the world. I don't feel like that's how I relate to information given me. I still feel like I'm holding on and hoarding onto things and trying to argue things out with people and try to understand things. I don't know where I'm coming from and where I'm going and how to translate these things. Wisdom, wisdom confirms the fact that there is a God that there is someone greater, that there's someone that gives identity, that you don't have to figure it out all on your own. And not only confirms the fact that a God is there, but that that God can be known. Wisdom captures the heart of other people. It powerfully translates knowledge. It takes the information overload that we have and brings the personal edge to it. So wisdom is not about what you know. It's about who you know. That type of wisdom will change the way you live, make you welcome outsiders, make you care for other people, make you be able to translate knowledge better, make you be able to capture people's hearts, be a more agreeable person. And finally, what do we see with wisdom? Well, the big, beautiful thing of wisdom, why it's able to change the way we live, why it makes us people that they go, how happy are they to be around? is wisdom is the only thing that truly takes away fear. Now, what do I mean by that? People today that know their Bible might be going, I think you got that wrong. Maybe you're a little jet lagged. Isn't the beginning of wisdom the fear of God? How can wisdom take away fear? Well, let's pack into that, and then I'm closing. Proverbs 9.10, and all throughout the Bible, it's in Psalms, it's a couple of different places, even in Job, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Right? And knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Sometimes we don't really understand that word fear. Okay? Let me give you an understanding of why I'm saying that true wisdom, when we get it, takes away our fear and what I mean by that. So I don't really like bugs all that much. All right? It was funny. We were out very late last night, and suddenly I think we just came out at cockroach hour, one street. There was like all these big cockroaches. I'm from Florida. That doesn't bother me, okay? But, you know, I'd rather not be around them, even though they don't really scare me. If I see a giant, not really cockroach, because I don't really think they're scary, if I'm honest, big spiders. In Florida, we have big poison spiders. You have big poison spiders here? If not, great. We have this thing called the, the, the um, wolf spider that actually bites and lays an egg in you and then can spread. Scary stuff, right? You want to run. If I see 
one of these spiders. Terrifying, right? I've seen one before. I woke up once when I was a kid. Look, it was right there on the wall. Right there, right? It's going to terrify me. Paralyze me. I won't be able to do anything, right? Because all I can think about is that scary thing, that challenge in my way. I don't know what to do, right? In a sense, that's what knowledge overload is, right? Sometimes that's what with our Christianity, we go, I don't know what to do. This is scary. How do I answer my friend's questions? How do I understand what to do? How do I stand up for Christ? How do I make sure that I don't have doubts that are not too big? Because I don't know what to do. This is scary, right? The task of living out faith. What's the only thing that's going to take my fixation of being afraid of this thing away? Is if something bigger, greater, mightier, more terrifying, if you will, completely takes away my view. So we also have hurricanes in Florida, right? In hurricane season, the front of my house has been blown off before, all right? A couple years ago. If a sudden spider is right there on the wall, but a hurricane is hitting at the same time and the roof is being ripped off, guess what? I'm not going to be worried about the spider anymore, okay? Because the hurricane is right here. And I think that's what it means with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and how only understanding true fear of the Lord will take away our fear of everybody else and anything else. Does that make sense? Even doubts? even hard questions, is that when the awesome, terrible, if you will, but terrible in beauty, my gaze is fixated and captured. I know my name is connected to my relationship is linked in with the God who did all those things we sang about the God who created the world, the God who gave life and breath, the God who can give life and take life away. Right? Like that. I am fixated, knowing, captured, incredibly obsessed, if you will, with this God, then guess what? All of the challenges that comes with changing culture, with changing laws, with hard questions, with what to do in life. Yeah, they're still going to be there. Yes, there's still going to be some hard things to do, but that's not scary anymore because his perfect love, his perfect capturing of my heart takes away my fear because there's nothing that's bigger than him over here. Does that make sense? So true wisdom Wisdom's about the connection. It's bringing that relational element. It's going, yeah, there's information. Yes, there's lots to do. How then shall we live? Well, I know the God who speaks to me, who invites me to ask him. So I don't have to be God. I don't have to make up my mind for myself. I don't have to go, well, this argument was better today and that culture was better today and this one's better here. So I'm going to change. I can speak to and talk to and have my fears quieted by the one who is all wise and who never changes. And because of that, I'll be able to sift through, not be afraid of, not hide from all knowledge that comes my way. And not only will I be able to sift through it, I'll be able to not be afraid of it. I'll be able to explain it better to other people. And when other people do challenge me in scary ways, I'll be able to love them past the fear. Does that make sense? The perfect love of God takes away our fear of challenge, takes away our fear of other people, and causes us to be able to spread wisdom in an amazing way. This is how it puts it in Job 12, 13. Once again, in the message version that I'm finishing, true wisdom and real power belong to God. From him, we learn how to live and also what to live for. I like that. Wisdom not only tells us how to live, right? Right? Lots of different disciplines, lots of different worldviews can tell you how to live. 
But when you have all the information in the world about how you should be living your life, someone or something still needs to tell you what's the purpose of it all, who to live for, what's important, what to do with it. True wisdom comes from God. It not only tells us how to live, but it gives us a goal of who to live for and what to live for, how to prioritize our lives. So I guess I just want to end today and say, do you want wisdom? And how do we get it? How do we get more of it? Well, how did, we, how did Solomon get it? He asked, right? He had everything at his disposal, but he humbly realized that even though he was a king, even though he was handed the kingdom, even though he had all the wealth he needed, and in a sense, that's us in the Western world. We have everything at our fingertips, generally. We have to bow our knee and go, actually, I need wisdom. I need to be able to translate this. I need purpose. I need identity. I need someone fixed, a fixed reference point in my life so I know what to do with all of the knowledge that comes in and how to put that knowledge back out in a way that makes sense of life. And all we have to do is ask. That's also the incredible difference of the Christian faith compared to every other worldview and every other faith. We have someone to ask. We have someone to speak to. And God invites us this morning to ask. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. I believe God wants to give wisdom to people this morning. Maybe for the first time. Or maybe for the first time in a long time. And um, I'm just going to end with a prayer before I hand back over to Pastor Mike, and if anyone wants to pray that prayer with me, I'm just going to basically take us through, if you're familiar with Alpha at all, they take you through a sorry, please, and thank you prayer. I think that's really good in everything in life. I think part of us realizing, having the, reali the wisdom to realize we are not God and someone else is, is to continually posture ourselves and go, I'm sorry. I haven't been translating knowledge right. I'm sorry I've been trying to live on my own. I'm sorry I've been more defensive of other people's views than inviting them in. Please, come and fill me with your wisdom. Please forgive me for doing it my own way. And thank you that you always say yes. Thank you I can ask you for it and that you promise that you'll give it. So if you want to pray that with me today, let's just bow our heads and we can pray. So Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the God who takes truth and makes it personal, who takes knowledge and makes it real, who gives us the relational element to tell us who we are, give us a name, and through that confidence be able to relate to other people better. Forgive us when we have tried to just be God. Forgive us when we have tried to just be knowledgeable, be wise in our own eyes, and how that has alienated us from other people and caused more barriers. Lord, we want to say we need you to be able to translate knowledge. We need you as our fixed reference point in life to be able to understand what's coming in and carefully and wisely and powerfully convey that knowledge to our friends, our families, and the rest of the world. Thank you that you say if we lack wisdom, we can ask you because you're real. Thank you that Jesus came and proved all of that to us. So, Father, we ask you, come in. Make us wise. Come in. 
translate your truth and make it real. In your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I just want to encourage you, if that was maybe the first time that you prayed that or the first time in a long time, and you want to walk further steps in this, then let Pastor Mike know or someone that you came with today. Thank you so much for listening this morning. Thank you.